Do you see what I have here? <laughs> what the fuck is that? It's a tan liquid. That is a tan liquid in a wine glass. Yeah. <laughs> I'm confused. Say more. So Virginia got cold brew pumpkin spice latte almond milk coffee. <laughs> And the, I never like jumped on the PSL bandwagon. Never actually had it before until she bought this, and it's actually uh-huh. pretty fucking good, man. It tastes like Christmas. Hey, you know what? what? Pumpkin spice is popular for a reason, Marshall. It's generally pretty enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, I get it now. Welcome to episode 368 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Lovin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how you doing? I'm back. Yeah. Back. back. I'm, uh, we made it back to San Francisco last night after uh, a very beautiful, lovely drive from Bend, Oregon. Took most of the day. Spent all day cleaning, unpacking. Oh, here's a fun surprise. Uh, We left San Francisco expecting to be gone for two weeks. We were gone for almost five months. And we forgot to take certain things out of the cabinet and refrigerator. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Like stuff that could easily last two weeks. But cannot last five, five months. months. Yeah. So, How was that? Uh, smelly. Last night was cleaning. Today was cleaning. And uh, anyways, it's good to be back. <laughs> yeah, man. As soon as you know, you watch those things on like Discovery Channel. When people are gone from the earth, how long it'll take for the cities to be overrun? It, not very long, man. It doesn't take five long weeks, for shit yeah, to, or five months. Entropy <laughs> is quick. <laughs> it is very quick. Anyways, uh, we got a good episode. But before we get into it, a huge Thank you to our Golden Ratio supporters. First up is Float. Float has been a lifeline for all of us working remotely. Uh, Looks like this is going to be the norm for quite a while. Microsoft just announced fully remote. Anyways, with Float, you can send your team your schedule via Slack or email, and you can keep your team in the loop on changes in your work from wherever you are. If you want to upgrade your remote working process, go to float.com slash design details to learn more. Thank you, Float. We're also supported this week by CuriosityStream. You can learn about literally any topic with CuriosityStream. It's the first on-demand documentary streaming service. There's always something new to learn with thousands of award-winning documentaries on technology, history, nature, food, and more. You can learn more today by going to curiositystream.com slash design. And if you go there and sign up, you're going to get an entire year of streaming for just $14.99. Not bad. So thank you, Float. Thank you, CuriosityStream. And with that, uh, time for some VIP shout-outs. Marshall, we got a few VIPs this week. Huge shout-out to Flora, Camille Wanzek, Frank Miles, Devin Rajaram, and Kathy Hatch. Thank you all. I wonder if Flora knows someone named Fauna. What if Flora's last name is Fauna? Oh, even better. I love it. It is nice. I like Flora 
is a very like Madonna y kind of name. Like I could mm-hmm. see that becoming a, a brand, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, Flora. Oh, that new Flora track. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Custom typeface. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Anyways, thank you all for supporting the show this week. We appreciate you. Yes, thank you. If you didn't know, we're a listener supported podcast, which means that you, dear listener, make the show possible. If you have been enjoying the show, or even if this is your first episode and you're enjoying it so far, uh <laughs> which we haven't really gotten to the content for you, if that's the case. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can consider supporting us. Uh, when you support us on Patreon, you get access to a special supporter-only segment of every episode called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. And The Sidebar is like an extra cool things or a story or a design tip. It usually nets out to be like an extra third or an extra half of an episode. So if you want full episodes, go to patreon.com slash design details. And we've priced it to start at just a dollar a month. We wanted this to be as accessible and as approachable as possible for everyone so we can have everybody hearing the sidebar and uh, complete episodes. So if that sounds interesting, if you're enjoying the show, go to patreon.com slash design details. Cool. Okay. A little follow-up? A little bit of follow-up. Follow-up pup. All right. So last week, Marshall, you brought up uh, the transcription Mm -hmm. topic. And several people replied, which is awesome. Yeah, we have so cool. uh, some tweets and some emails. We will respond as quickly as we can, but we wanted to see that people were interested before we formulated a plan. So now we're kind of like trying to play catch up and, and actually figure out how this thing will work. But we got one tweet in particular from Stevanos Satria. Sorry if I totally butchered that. Um, says, why not create a GitHub repo so that we can all create pull requests to correct the transcripts instead? It'll truly be a community effort. And I got to say, this is an idea that I love and we talked yeah. about at one point or another, which was, yeah, like let's figure out a way to put all the transcripts as text files. We already have a design details repo mm-hmm. uh, that's public and open source. Mm-hmm. So we can put everything there, and that way people who do put in the effort to make contributions get that sort of public commit trail, right? Like they'll show up as contributors to the organization and to the repo. So this might entice more, I don't know, developer-y designers, but I guess editing text files should be straightforward enough on GitHub, and you could actually build out your profile. Uh, the cool thing about doing this on GitHub as well is you just get the full, like it's a version control system. So if multiple people accidentally overwrite things or, or interpretations of what we said changed. I don't know. Maybe we mumbled about something like we get a nice commit trail and in, in history of all those discussions and, and edits. Yeah, so yeah. I think it'll probably end up in that way. And then we had people tweet an email to volunteers. So we'll just have to figure out a process to get the transcript on the repo and sort of notify everybody that's interested in helping that a new transcript is up. And yeah, we'll probably we'll we'll treat this like a design problem. We'll we'll f- try and figure out the best solution here and then iterate over time as people start getting into the weeds and editing things. We'll find find ways to make it feel good. And then of course we'll have to figure out a way to render that all on the, the website, which is a problem I can start thinking about. Cool. Cool. All right. So thank you everybody who reached out. We'll be in touch. Yeah, thank you. Soon. Really cool to see so many volunteers. Yeah. Okay. All right, main topic, listener question this week. This one comes from Carrie Rong, who asked us on our GitHub repo. Carrie asks, running a student design community, how do I engage people with design principles and fundamentals? She continues, I'm a student in Canada where I've just started my university's first design community to introduce product, UX, and web design to people who have otherwise never heard of it before. 
I want to make sure that I teach others to have the mindset of correct design thinking and fundamentals, but I'm self-taught myself and not sure how to approach this when everyone seems to just want to jump on the software and make pretty things. I know that being a designer is more than knowing how to use Figma, and I don't want to breed mediocrity in design. Do you have any suggestions on getting people excited about design fundamentals and how to teach them? Or are the basics more something that you can learn with time and practice? Any of your input would be amazing. Yeah, good question. I love the self-awareness of this question, which is like, I want to teach people design, but I want to teach them well. And like recognizing that you yourself, you know, might be uh, (laughs) like perpetuating bad habits. If you, uh, you know, yeah, that's one of my fears as well with this podcast is like, fuck, like we're learning stuff every, every year. And are the things that we say on here like breeding mediocrity are we saying bad things that we're going to disagree with ourselves about in the future you know yeah so similar problems here marshall does anything come to mind for you how do you how do you get people excited about the fundamentals yeah um i feel like i'm just going to repeat answers i've already given before on the show but maybe that's okay yeah we have themes so one thing i think of always come back to and something i reference almost daily is Laws of UX, which is, I think it's lawsofux.com. Uh, we talk about it all the time on the show. Uh, that website is very well crafted to look pretty, but also be really informative and break down what each of those things mean. That, that for me, I, I've been wanting to like print out posters of those things and put them around the office. Um, hasn't really been very uh, pressing lately because nobody's in the office. But uh, when we get back <laughs> to the office, it'd be cool to have posters. I around mean, you it. could put the posters up. Yeah, could Nobody very limited them. audience. Yeah, but I think that would be the one one thing that I would recommend is like just introduce the the laws that are kind of ingrained in those of us who have been doing it for a long time. You can really quickly fast forward through a lot of hard experience by just internalizing those laws. Also, I'd recommend pouring over HIGs, right? Pouring over the Apple HIG and Android material and any other sort of design system stuff you can get your hands on. They very clearly lay out both what and why and the ability to see the final product and hear from the people who made it, why they made it the way it is. You can derive a lot of good philosophies from that. But I've mentioned both of those things on the show before many times, and uh, I feel like I'm repeating myself. But yeah, lots of UX yeah. Well, okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna force you to dig deeper here because I agree 100 percent that these are great places to learn about the fundamentals. But in a class for people who have are brand new to design, I could actually imagine that being incredibly boring, like going to Apple's documentation website and reading these things. So I think like half of this question is how do you how do you get people excited about this? Okay, yeah. so here's here's maybe a better one. Well, it, do you remember the name of that thing? It was like it showed you two designs, and you had to choose which one was right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shit, I don't remember the name of it. Yeah, so I I don't remember what that was called, but you could make your own similar thing of like make a lockup and make part of it wrong somehow, right? So like make the the font misaligned, or make the the text inaccessible and and hard to read, or Make your margins or key lines off, right? But but not a whole lot. Just enough that like, eh, it feels wrong. Why though? What's the thing that makes it feel wrong? Why does this one feel better than that one? And then clarifying like, here, this is the thing. Big red arrow, too much space here, right? 
that might be useful. I don't know. It's a little bit more interactive than just pouring over some some Higgs. I like that. I like anything interactive. I think that's just way... I mean, obviously, people learn in different ways, but that would be... It seems more engaging, and it would be fun. And, like, it becomes a challenge, right? Like, do I have an eye for these kinds of things? And mm-hmm. if you don't have an eye for something, and somebody is showing you two things and says one of these is more correct than the other if they don't tell you the rules or or why and you just have to decide you'll start to pattern match in your head and like maybe you you arrive at the the principles and the rules on your own just through absorbing those examples right like oh i keep noticing this is wrong because i don't know it's misaligned i don't, uh, I don't know uh, but you you could figure out patterns just on your own by going through that exercise rather than having to read a list like a bullet point of you know, do this, don't do this. One other thing that came to mind for me, Marshall, is I think real world examples of where design principles have either worked well or have failed. Yeah, you stole um, my next one. That's where I was going to lead. Okay, yeah. Like this stuff is super memorable. Especially as a application of those laws of UX. They're, they're fine just knowing what they are, but seeing them in practice is a totally different thing. So the thing that comes to mind for me is like, Norman doors, right? Like Don Norman, yep. uh, design of everyday things, talking about the affordances of doors. And if you can talk about examples like that, what you hope, or at least what I would hope, is that someone who's new to design would then leave the classroom, go out into the world, and start to think about that as mm-hmm. they interact with the real world. See the world through the through the eyes of a designer. Yeah, yeah, like looking at type or, or or interaction like think about the way you open doors and interact with sinks and interact with drawers and cabinets and like i don't know like getting people into the mindset where they try to really apply some thinking to the things that are designed all around us that we interact with all the time and if you can get somebody like hooked on that mindset oh man they're just gonna go off on their own and be actually interested in the hig right uh, like yeah. they'll want to read the hig to articulate why these things are good or bad yeah i love that that's great yeah here here's a fun little exercise for anybody uh Pay attention to how many times you see Helvetica throughout the day. <laughs> yeah. That's a twofold thing, right? One, it will help you become more familiar with like the intricacies of type design, of like how to tell Helvetica apart from every other font out there, especially the ones that kind of look like it. But also, just to see how frequently that font is used, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Watch, uh-huh. the, watch the documentary Helvetica. That's another really good one if you, if you need an in-class movie. Uh, Helvetica is a really good one. There's a, there's also like another Netflix documentary series about design, right? It was like a series and it had like yeah. fashion and interior and yeah. architecture. There was even an interface design episode, I think. Yes. It's really focused on Instagram. Uh, Ian Spalter, I think. Oh, it's called Abstract. Abstract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, uh, I think there was a sneaker episode that was really good. Yeah. So Abstract on Netflix. I don't know, like any of these things would just getting people to identify design in the real world seems like it's like a gateway drug. Uh, (laughs) You're allowed to call it that. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think makes me a designer is how I see the world, how I interpret my interactions with the real world is everything I do, everything I see, I'm thinking, is this the best way to do it? Could this have been designed better? How was my experience? Am I satisfied? Was that frustrating? I'm always thinking about that stuff. I can't turn it off. Uh, and I think that's part of what makes me a designer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I guess the last thing that's coming to mind for me when I read this question, Marshall, is 
it's in the question itself, which is everyone seems to just want to jump on the software and make pretty things. And I think that there's something really truthful in there, or at least something that resonates with me, which is that actually experiencing the creation process of software is exciting. And even if you have students who are brand new, they don't know anything, inviting them to create something and put it on the screen and manipulate it and you know deploy a website, like whatever it might be, these are like really magical moments for beginners. And I think delaying the time to those moments of like, oh my gosh, look what I did to create something on the screen. Like if you delay that too much, I think you risk people just becoming bored or yeah, just like falling off of the path. And one thing that this reminded me of is just how I learned JavaScript, which was I tried over and over and over. I would like read the books and do the tutorials and like go chapter by chapter and try and just learn JavaScript fundamentals. And I always failed for like years and years and years. I would get to the for loop chapter and just be like, this shit's boring. Like I want to make a website. And so that's what I did. I started just making websites. And when you are creating things, you encounter problems in the creation process that require you to learn new things to solve that problem. And so for my case, it was like, oh, I want this certain type of interaction or I need I need something to happen when I click on this thing. Okay, I'm going to go Google how to do that. And you basically learn through practice and through solving real tactical problems that are right in front of you. And what I found is that after doing that for enough time, I could go back and then revisit the fundamentals like the JavaScript tutorials and click the two into place. Like Mm -hmm. I have experienced doing the thing, uh, most likely doing it very poorly, but I under, I like got myself to the point where I solved the problem and now I can layer on like a sort of discipline to that. Um, So anyways, I, I suppose everyone learns in different ways, but I just, that's how I learned JavaScript was just making lots of shit, doing it very badly, and then going back after the fact. After I just learned so much and built so much stuff that then I could say, oh, now I understand why the fundamentals work in this way because I can map that chapter in the book onto three or four things that I've built in the past and visualize in my head how I would do it differently or make it better having read the the book now. Uh, does this resonate with you at all? Yeah, this reminds me of something in college. So I had a teacher for, I went to school for media arts and animation, so this is like 3D modeling, not exactly the same, but uh, just goes to show you, you don't have to go to school for design to end up in design. But um, uh-huh. it was kind of a, a, a multi-step course, so it was like 101, 102, 103. And in the first the 101 course, he had us do an assignment, and it was basically like to take a picture and then model that picture and make it as close to realistic as you could. And then he gave us the same assignment at the end of the course. And when we were done, he gave us back our originals and showed us the ones that we had just done. And you could see right next to each other, the, just the contrast in experience and understanding (laughs) the difference between the two is like night and day. Like a child did this one on the left and someone actually knows what they're doing, did the one on the right. So maybe an interesting thing to do would be like, let them, exercise those, you know, that need to create initially and then teach them a bunch of stuff and then give them another opportunity to create and let them see the contrast between what they thought they knew and then once they actually do know stuff, what they're capable of. I feel like there is a unique kind of frustration in having taste that is better than what you can make. And I know that this is like the whole Ira Glass video Mm -hmm. uh, called The Gap. 
Yeah. But if you can get people to actually experience that frustration, okay, day one, let them make a website or, or draw an app, like whatever. And then try and, and have people apply their own taste or experience of what is good on top of the thing that they've just created. And what will inevitably arise is a unique frustration. Like, okay, I, in my head, I can picture how it's good. On the screen, it's clearly bad. How do I like fix this big discrepancy? And that might get people more interested in reading the documentation and, and doing the research. Like the less interesting thing than drawing pixels or perhaps like the less engaging thing, mm-hmm. that might be a way to get people interested or excited in the fundamentals is to <laughs> illustrate how those fundamentals are going to close that taste gap for them. Exactly. Uh, maybe a way to wrap this up is uh, one last thing. So one of the the biggest things that I've learned, and this has had to occur through experience, is, is user empathy. When I first started out designing stuff, I was designing for me. And it's take it's taken years and lots of mistakes to understand that like I'm not designing for me. I'm not even designing for people like me. I'm designing for everyone or or a specific user, and that person might not be like me. So I think maybe an interesting exercise would be to have your students show the work that they've done to someone else and see how usable it is. This is something we do all the time with the, uh, usability research. And you almost invariably hear back that you've made mistakes and that it's not easily usable. So Uh uh, it's a good learning experience. What do you think? It's a humbling experience to show the thing that you've made to somebody else and watch them stumble through it. And you you thought you'd design some beautiful, brilliant application that people Mm -hmm. can't figure out how to navigate Uh it or do a thing. That is a humbling, humbling moment. And uh, yeah, that might fire people up. Never gets easier. Yeah. I love it. Okay, well, these are our suggestions. We're answering this question a little bit late for Carrie, but maybe other folks who are listening would find this interesting as well. And Carrie, if you are still running your your student design community at your university, uh, hopefully this is helpful. Yeah. All right. Cool things, Marshall? All right. So uh, new YouTube channel. Not new, but a new one for me to suggest. This is <laughs> yeah. a musical based uh youtube channel so meaning like music based so it's called sideways and he is a music expert of some sort seems more classical than other things but he really dials in on like themes and light motifs stuff like that you know i'm talking about light motifs light motifs yeah l-e-i-t-m-o-t-i-f-s i don't know the l-e-i-t part of that Oh, yeah, it's basically just like a theme. So the Imperial March for Darth Vader or... I see. You know what I'm talking about? Different, so. than, a, different than just a vanilla motif? Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's just what music people call it. I don't know. It's, it's, oh, okay. it probably okay. comes, it's probably like an old term that's been kept alive. But most of his videos are based on movies. So he has a video, for example, about the music of The Matrix, right? Decoding the music of The Matrix. And, and he really gets into the details of like, all those little themes and how they come back and, and what each one means and how they apply to characters and when they come back later in the movie, what the impact of that is. Like, I don't know about you, but when I'm watching a movie, I'm thinking about the story. I'm thinking about the characters. I almost never listen to the score or the music. How about you? I Yeah, it's like it's it's passive. I, I guess there's certain movies or shows that you, you notice the theme or the music. Like the music is so upfront and 
a part of the experience that you can't help but to not notice it. I feel, I feel like um, Stranger Things comes to mind for me. Like, sure, sure, sure. If I say Stranger Things, you can almost hear, like, you you know how core the music was. That, anyways, is that what yeah. you're, you're asking? Well, I guess it's more of like uh, these little melodies hidden in the score right so when Mm. when a certain thing happens or when two characters are together or when a character appears on screen you'll hear their little theme built into the existing score that's already going on i don't i don't usually notice those things or at least not consciously right like as he's going back through all these things i'm like oh yeah yeah i remember that little ditty Um, got it but but i didn't make the association i didn't make the conscious association but yeah that makes sense yeah that hedwig's theme yeah okay yeah, yeah yeah So I don't know. It's just a really interesting channel. I've been I've had it on the background all day listening to him talk about all the things in movies that I don't notice the the sound this stuff. It's all subconscious. Channel looks amazing. This it reminds me. I mean, I've been in love with like the film essay mm-hmm. section of YouTube. This is like that, but just for the music. And yep. this scratches all the itches of things that I want to watch. Yeah, this is a this is a uh, William H. What's his face? Patrick H. Willems. Yeah, Patrick H. Willems. Yeah, yeah, but for music. Yep. Awesome. Subscribed. I will start watching. Enjoy, sir. Yeah. Okay, well, my cool thing this week, this is a listener suggestion. So last week, my cool thing was Ted Lasso. Yeah. I hope I hope some folks out there got to enjoy that little ray of sunshine last week. I, I told Virginia about it. I think she's agreed to watch it. We'll see. It might not be up her alley, but but uh, I'm gonna get sure, sure. I'm gonna get the pilot out of her at least. Okay, give it a try. Anyways, um, Manny Sue tweeted at us says very non-design related comment. A feel-good show recommendation is Shit's Creek. Every season just gets better and better. So, Manny, I saw your tweet. I pulled up Shit's Creek on, on Netflix and started watching it with my partner. And we are enjoying it. I yeah. you know this is one of those shows, Marshall, where like I've seen it around. Like it's part of the Netflix screen that I'm used to. Is this the one that has Eugene Levy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I've seen it too, but I've never seen it. I've just never clicked in. I don't know why. Like, is it because I'm the name of the show yep. just didn't capture me in some way? Bad pun. I, I, I saw I said bad pun, bad show. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, I don't know. Here's here's the way I think about it is like I look for shows like this that are good, like wind down shows, like The Office, Parks and Rec. Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, mm-hmm. like office comedies, these kinds of shows that are twenty minutes, easily digestible. Uh, the characters grow on you over time. Anyway, so we're like six episodes into Shit's Creek, and there's six seasons. So holy shit, we have a lot to go, but we're enjoying it. Uh, twenty minutes at a time. So I don't know if anyone else is like me and has seen it in their feeds and just never clicked in for whatever reason maybe give it a try yeah i I saw this tweet too and i've I've brought it up with the lady and she's uh, on board as well she's heard good things so okay on the list give it a try give it a try okay that's it uh it's been episode 368 hope you enjoyed it let us know what you thought we're on twitter at design details fm if you did enjoy this episode consider supporting us we're on patreon at patreon.com slash design details for just a dollar a month, you can support the show, but also get access to a supporter-only segment of the show called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. And today we talked about uh, the painful moments of noticing issues with software that you made right before it ships and how to get around that. 
if that sounds interesting, that's at patreon.com slash design details. If you need more podcasts for your ears, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just Just like like you. you. Otherwise, we will catch you next week. Au revoir, Brian. Au revoir, Brian. <laughs> Bonsoir, Marshall. I'm, I'm just going to say goodbye to you in a different language every time, but really terrible pronunciation. Okay, good, good. <laughs>